there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Juicy Dirt. Juicy. <laughs> he did have quite a bunda. But, um, <laughs> but the thing that he didn't, he was one of the skinniest men on the whole team. <laughs> Virgil van Dyke. It was weird. It was like this diamond in the rough that you were sort of like you. He came, but he was finished, and it basically just went plug and play. In you go. Did you know that his dad was one of the people that set up the Jamaican bobsleigh team? I don't think Henderson would have been totally irreplaceable. Whereas Gerrard, I think his ripple is that he is so unique. Javi Alonso is the reason Arsenal made a title challenge last season. Did you know? Go on. His friendship with Mikel Arteta. Dum dum dum. You can't really define Liverpool's impact when you talk about the city without the people that live there. And most importantly, of course, the football club. The city of Liverpool is often seen as a whole other entity to England by its inhabitants. And through this, it's almost it almost has its own social culture, a social culture that has been fortified and embodied by Liverpool Football Club and Everton, of course. But still through this symbiotic relationship that exists between Liverpudlians and Liverpool Football Club, it's made the club 10 times more influential, important and most importantly, impactful on the people of Liverpool and the fans of the club. And keeping in line with the word impact, we're going to put forward the most impactful 11 of all time for Liverpool Football Club. And the main reason we're doing this is, of course, because Loz is with us. Loz is back. Hey, thanks Loz for having me. Loz is a me. Liverpool fan. And uh, we're also joined by his podcast co-host. Are we Com- saying compatriot. that? Compatriot. Compatriot. Like yeah. Jamie Slevin as well. Now, we're doing this the wrong way around. We're recording this first, but this is going out second. So you've already heard some absolute absolute gems from the guys some zingers some of a, of a proper take. zingers Jamie I can't believe uh, yeah, you said they, they'd win the league yeah that was bordering on well, I'm not even going to say yeah, it yeah. but it was <laughs> but well, it we was, all know but we all know <laughs> yeah. don't we uh, so yeah so uh, make sure you go check out the first podcast uh, we know what we're talking about at least which is uh, can we can Liverpool still win the league by spending a large amount of money but no more than the amount that they wanted to spend. That's the real quiz. That's That's the real quiz. quiz. Um, So we did this last week. If you haven't checked out that one, make sure you check that out as well. That was Man United with Liaz and uh, Cam. I love that podcast, by the way. Those two are like some of the best guests that you can get right now. It's like, you know, you know, if you were making a mixtape of people, I often try and think of the game as like a mixtape right now. Those two would be like the hottest artists that you could get on the mixtape. They're like the young up and coming it does feel like there's a new generation. Jamie, would you consider yourself part of that? I'd consider us filler track. We're filler like, track. Right, yeah. We're fifth yeah. song on the mixtape. Right. Jamie and I, the skits in between. Yeah. But, it's, <laughs> between an, the but it's an earworm, isn't it? Yeah. It's an earworm all yeah. the same. Uh, tell me about the podcast, actually, just before we get into this, just so we can plug it properly. Because uh, generally, guys, I, you know, I only have people on here that I enjoy chatting to. That's the whole point. And uh, the podcast is really soothing. It's quite cerebral. Said that quite relaxing. But it, yeah. it, do you know what? It's something that we've chatted about 
a lot in terms of what you've wanted to do. You've wanted to do a podcast of your own about football that can go in all these different places and, and Jamie's perfect as a, as a compatriot for it, right? Yeah, you need someone who's going to be um, uh, thoughtful or willing to go as deep diving as you are willing to dive. And uh, boy, do we dive off deep at the deep end. Uh, that, that's kind of what we wanted to do on the podcast was not kind of have a... I'm not very good at formatting, as, as James knows. And so down the years we've basically just made free associative things. And I think a lot of people kind of enjoyed that when we put it out on YouTube. It is just a, oh yeah, do you, what do you think from this angle? It's a very lateral thinking podcast as well. Totally. Uh, so yeah, you can just search Lawrence McKenna or uh, weirdly it's under the Lozcast um, podcast okay. feed on Spotify. Right. We will put a link in the description. Thank you. Go and follow the guys. Support your people. Right. So we had a bit of a... We'll go all over the place with this as well, because I want to talk about different players that aren't in here. I might chuck in a couple of players that didn't even play for Liverpool as well. But we've gone <laughs> That's for, off the wall, mate. <laughs> we've gone for, Well, we did it last week. And yeah. I just, yeah, what happened last week? It wasn't... Not a car crash, but it was like... It was all over the place, but in, in a good way. And that's fine. I enjoyed that's it. Absolutely it was fine. a car crash from people trying to take the wheel. Sure, it was. <laughs> sure, true. But uh, you know that's okay. Sometimes I'm going. You, you know, you drive. Yeah. Four two four. We've gone in terms of a, a formation. If you guys have put forward a team as well, James is getting his phone out, which is from twenty fifty. When's twenty sixteen? Twenty sixty. I like that. Sustainable. It's work. good. Yeah. Um, so you've got your team ready to go. So let's. I'm going to chuck out some names, and I think yeah, we'll just we'll, we'll go with it. Chuck them. So, uh, Loris Carius. Now we now Loz. Now Loz. We've done a podcast on Gareth already. Yeah, we? that was uh, that's actually one of our um, our biggest uh, podcasts actually because uh, it was when who was it Pope got sent off and Karius, you they were like oh he's in the squad is he pumped and he up. had to play yeah in yeah he was pumped up wasn't yeah, he the he's, League Cup final wasn't it and he played and he did all right didn't he yeah, but he didn't win so no, no, but, yeah. yeah but that's not on him. They, whereas if they had lost and it, it could have been because of him and I think that was the main fear wasn't it yeah he looked very much like a guy who was doing an impression of Loris Carius or sort of an impersonation of Loris Carius uh, but he spent too much time in the gym Loris Carius was absolutely stacked by the time he came in yeah but he, I, he got through I find there's a tension with Loris Carius because I felt quite sorry for him after the Champions League and failed loan spells and I was on his Instagram before the Newcastle Cup final and I was like oh my god he's six foot four gorgeous yeah unbelievably rich trains are the most beautiful training grounds in the world he's a model he's a model and I was there thinking oh the poor guy yeah really need to catch a break I hope he keeps a clean sheet today it's kind of weird because in any other scenario so you know if in NFL if someone gets concussion or any other sport someone gets concussion they're a hero but weirdly in right. yeah, in, yeah. in English sport, it's like, what are you doing getting concussion, mate? That's so stupid. What you, yeah, they dig him out. It's Terry Butcher's fault. Terry right. Butcher put the... So, so, right. I want to talk about this. Because, so in the Women's World Cup final, mm -hmm. Alex Greenwood got uh, a head bandage. And I said to my wife, I was like, why does this happen in all big games? Yeah. In all big games, there'll be someone who gets, you know, Clarita's scene and they have to put a bandage around their head. Is that something we're just looking for? It's something we're looking for, isn't it? Is it a stress thing? Do you? I wonder whether, like, there's like, and you know, in in highly stressful situations, is there a high blood flow to your head, and therefore, like, your head is more set up to be burst or kind of uh, take. I, don't I know, think trauma. just an, uh, the adrenaline is pumping to a new level, and thus, say with the Alex Greenwood one, she's putting her head somewhere she doesn't need to be doing that. Right, you become so almost more reckless. Yes, yeah, so I think you're, so. Yeah, you're more willing to just put your body on the line. I like that. That's probably true, but I prefer the explanation. It's actually a little bit like a turgid grape. Just the <laughs> adrenaline actually makes your head... <laughs> turgid grape. Just makes right. your, your head actually... 
But you know, I think it's also because the narrative, as English football fans especially, we kind of get romantic about your centre-back. I mean, it had to be a centre-half who got injured. Yeah, the sort of soldier warfare connotations of it all is, is quite nice. Yeah, it? and the interesting bit is like the different, a different position and a different injury gives a different story. So Salah getting injured in the European Cup final with his shoulder. Mm. Well, that's a slightly different image aesthetic mm -hmm. to a head injury. That's nice. With, with Karius, did you not, was the sort of uh, disdain towards him obviously due to the acts that came after it but also the fact that he was he is so good looking and with a goalkeeper you, you concussion's not allowed concussion's <laughs> not allowed because also you're quite static or you're seen as quite static or, or so, you're, but surely you're seen to be sort of big and strong and you, that shouldn't be occurring you should be able to go, put your head through walls and yeah things. well yeah because you also have some sort of like mental thing being a goalkeeper yeah, yeah. in the first place so any kind of uh, head trauma you should be able to deal with i think on top of that it was more that, that he knew his time was done and he he was one of the weak points in the team and the weak points always need to step up rather than go the other way. And so it's seen as a big letdown. I think broadly the fans in stadium, the fans who go to the game every week, will be a lot more empathetic to Carrius. I think if it was a legendary goalkeeper, if it was an you know, if it wasn't Allison or it was a you know, one of the big Liverpool guys. So say it was Jersey Dudek, he wasn't. But if it was, if it happened to Jersey Dudek in, in the AC Milan final, yeah. I also think people aren't all that forgiving to him. But, Do, does it all come back to winning and losing though as well? Like if you, if you so, yeah. so Paul Ince, so Terry Butcher, we get through that um, game against Sweden and we qualify. Paul Ince against Italy, we get the draw and we make it through. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and maybe it's, it's a defender thing as well. That's kind of, or defender or defensive midfielder, you know, a defensively minded player that, that it's okay to put your head where it hurts, that kind of thing. But also, how did he get the concussion? It's sort of like a collision, wasn't it? So it was, wasn't it a collision with the post or something? It was a little bit innocuous, which was the problem. Right. So he ran right. into like three things at once. One is goalkeepers really. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I mean, goalkeepers really have no excuse for being that good looking. Like there's a softness. I mean, Virgil van Dijk gets away with it somehow. But 25 years ago, Loris wouldn't even be considered with a head of hair like that. <laughs> Good yeah. point. Yeah. He would have been been a, yeah. At some point, a door that would have opened would have been slammed shut. You're right. right. But the other interesting thing is when the concussion was first reported, there was a little bit of skepticism about it. And it's because yeah, everyone remembers bunking off sports and saying, oh, no, I promise I had to go to the doctor. Concussion was your thing. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would have been oh, age 16. Yeah. <laughs> go down, doctor. So, right. Sorry, so the, the suggestion you're making here and the way that I heard the format last week was most impactful. <laughs> okay. And what you've gone for here yeah, is, is someone who's, who's been impacted. Who's been impacted. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, actually, I've got the other side of that coin a little bit later right, on as an okay. option. But so the, the ripple effect of uh, Loris Carius, and as I said, we, we've done a whole podcast on this, actually, which is, which is great. On him specifically, mm. but uh, so his mistakes were actually more beneficial than harmful. So Carrius signed for Liverpool in July 2016 for a fee of five mil. Interestingly, he only ever made 29 appearances in two seasons for Liverpool. Mm. Mignolet also there, who you couldn't trust either. But he did play in the Champions League in the fateful 2017-18 season, and of course went on to make those mistakes that we've just chatted about. But these were actually a silver lining if you really think about it, as it forced Liverpool into signing Allison. Allison then goes on to win the Champions League and the Premier League with Liverpool. Allison also scored that goal against West Brom to virtually secure Liverpool top four place. I think to this day with Allison. He he will get you those ten points that you talk about when you talk about someone like Peter Schmeichel, especially with how Liverpool play. That was my thing. Was next to it when uh, next to my notes, next to goalkeeper, I just put it's a goalkeeper, isn't it? Of course, there's a ripple effect with him, right? Yeah, I mean, but I think what was interesting about 
Liverpool goalkeepers was they were rubbish for ages. Like there was like there was David wasn't James a, on, I think. David was, you can't David James was not good for Liverpool. He was awful. I mean oh, that's right, what I'm right, saying. Sorry, yeah. Right, so right. so he was, he sort of started it because before that obviously Bruce Grobbler was crazy but he was a very good goalkeeper. I was let's bring that up. Was Bruce Grobbler did he have a ripple effect in terms of um, allowing a space for erratic goalkeepers? Yeah, Liverpool? because before that as well, you've got the opposite of that. So you've got like England goalkeepers and you've got some really Ray legendary Clements, goalkeepers. Yeah. yeah, Ray Clements, obviously. There was uh, someone called Tommy Lawrence, who's a very famous Liverpool goalkeeper within the city. They called him like the flying pig. He was such a big guy. You just couldn't get past him. Uh, Is he the guy they found on the news? Uh, on the was. news, they were going, oh, this they're playing in a final. Do you remember this final? Yeah, like, I, yeah think, I, played. I, think, I think it was Tommy Lawrence. They wow. might have been the, the guy there, I think, actually. Good-looking guy for his age as well. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Good, good white hair. So so it was beneficial. So they're definitely... I remember being at Ball Street at the time, and it was like, okay, that's... An, I remember saying Chris Pajak, and he was going, that's enough. Like, this needs sorting. And let's spend whatever it takes to get it done. And they did. Boy, did we sort it. Yeah, I don't know if the podcast... This is where we're taking the podcast... But I think that's the carious dynamic where it really went wrong in a way that you couldn't play hide the ball on anymore. You actually had to address it. Yeah. It's a repeated theme throughout sport and throughout life where actually the worst place you can be is not quite good enough or not suffering quite enough. Yes, I've seen that clip as well. Is it that bloke? There's a bloke who's... Um, sorry, if you haven't if you've read about this. There's a guy who's big on Instagram and he, he says that there's there's this whole theory around this which it's like if something's slightly annoying slightly bad then you're gonna get, you're just gonna get on with it and like right. deal with it but it needs to be bad enough for you to move forward which wow. I wish I was referencing something so profound right. I was thinking about Giroud up front for Arsenal not being quite the man to win them the league <laughs> Oh, right, but, I love that. I love the lens of which you're. Le- but it's definitely out there. Just subconsciously, you must have been fed that or something somewhere. I'm guessing. Yeah, the other yeah. possibility for goalkeeper, and I think uh, Carius is the answer, is possibly Erjazi Duzek. And the reason I mention him is because later, I'm sure we're going to talk about Steven Gerrard in his cool. various guises. But and this could be revisionism. I actually don't remember quite. But I think there was some kind of chat that had AC Milan won the Champions League, Gerrard would have gone to Chelsea. And the money would have been used to rebuild. Yeah. So that save from Shevchenko in extra time, that's perhaps overlooked given the context of the wider game, might have been a little bit of a ripple just in as far as it created the wider ripple of Steve. Totally. And, and I think as much as the la- the layers of, of um, madness of that game, there was what, you know, obviously the comeback was really quick, but it was kind of like, it took your breath away, didn't it? Lots? Like, like it was at halftime, it was so, I'm just making it was so bad. This. It was so bad that you were kind of like, oh, can they at least hang in there? I remember saying to my dad, Do you want at least let them get a goal. Like, that'd be nice. And then they kind of got one. And then within the space of whatever it was, 10 minutes, 13 minutes, that it's 3-3. And, and so that was that's kind of one thing. But you kind of felt like AC Milan was still going to, you know, force the issue and, and maybe get that goal. But that Jersey Dudek save for me... I remember seeing that and going, Can I just ask, oh, no. Let me ask you a question on this. And, you know, I'm the worst for reframing great Liverpool moments as somehow. That's your mean job. It. Yeah, it's totally my job. Like, I came on your podcast a couple of uh, years ago in, in making another team. And I said, Hendo is obviously in the team. <laughs> it's age bad, isn't it? Isn't it badly at all, yeah. mate? I don't even promise. Um, oh, we need to talk, that's something yeah. we need to talk about, which is a ripple effect from last week's podcast. And I'll just let this hang, right? So last week we were talking about how... Um, Brian Robson doesn't get into the team because they didn't really win the competitions they want to win. Roy Keane did. Yet Brian Robson was there for a lot longer. And I asked the question, so what, if you're doing a Liverpool team, are you putting 
are you putting in Henderson ahead of Gerrard because of what was won? Now, don't answer that. We'll come back to that. Go on. But that was that is the question, you know, when it comes to those two, if you're going to put one in or, or not the other. But so, yeah, in dream so, teams, when we did dream teams, you... Uh, you put Henderson and that was obviously uh, that was obviously a play for attention. Always. But the um, but the, the point is uh, with with Juicy uh, Jersey Dudek or Juicy Durdek as I like to call him. Juicy Durdek. Juicy. <laughs> he did have quite a bunder. But the, um, <laughs> but the thing he didn't. He was one of the skinniest men on the whole team. <laughs> you said that so uh, that didn't sound right. It didn't. Such a bunder. I sound more like um like a, a nature documentary maker. <laughs> quite the bunder approaches the bush. Um, <laughs> So the the main thing with Dudek was I think he looks back so it's such a, it still makes me emotional like my my arms go uh my I get goosebumpy my my eyes tear up I remember watching that on my knees as an atheist kid praying and uh seeing that and him looking at Jamie Carragher because him so Carragher half time uh, Carragher exchanges this a story with Dudek or basically says to everyone, I saw Gattuso touch the trophy. And when you touch the trophy before you win it, you don't win it. Mm. And so when Dudek makes that save or his hand just happens to be oh. in that position, because he's not, he's not moving his hand up like that. His hand, he's just gone great save. Oh, and then another yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and he then nods at Carragher and goes, yeah, it's, it's happening. It's, time. it's actually happening, oh, isn't it? It is special. That's what the nod is, though. That's the that's his nod. He's going. I need to oh, go and see right. the nod. Yeah, mate, you've got to watch it back because it's such a good moment. Carragher is outrageous in that game, by the way. Outrageous, outrageously so, tired. Yeah, <laughs> cramping up. Yeah, he cramps up. Like, what did Dudek do with his legs? He did like the the wobble. So that was it. so again. Maybe that is There's something we should talk about. Yeah, Bruce Grobbler. Uh, that's his ripple effect. Mm. Is that he used to do that quite a lot, and that was then won Liverpool the Champions League. Do you think he's not as respected for that final performance because of the legs? Because no, I think, I think he's more respected. Oh, I, I think I, I respect him less. less. Why? <laughs> because gamesmanship. Yeah. What, what about, you know, Argentina quite, won the World Cup silly. and everyone goes, oh, you went and handed him the ball. And apparently, yeah, I mean, I don't really like that either. But like, uh, yeah. are you, what's wrong with you guys? You, oh, you two are so by the book. I bet <laughs> if a policeman said, like, oh, did you pick up that apple in the shop? You'd go, yeah, I didn't pay for it, though. I'm so sorry. Well, like Lucy Bronze kind of did it in the World Cup final as well where she was like is that ball on the spot and just just getting in that sort of the that. mindset of uh, Hermosa it was who missed uh, got saved didn't it of course and I kind of remember thinking oh you're doing it oh well this will probably work out won't uh, yep okay there you go you saved it how do I feel about that love that yeah well, I'm not sure I'm not totally sure I don't I know like it. it's not original no what as in it do uh, that yeah but it's a homage so it's hom- a homage of, <laughs> to to um it's very different words yeah, to, to, to Bruce. Okay, so I think Carrius. Uh, uh, are you genuinely you made the biggest <laughs> impact of any goalkeeper? <laughs> Bear in mind, Liverpool have had some of the greatest goalkeepers that ever graced the Premier League and ever graced the top division was Loris Carrius. Who, who was the goalkeeper last week for Manchester United? Peter Schmeichel. Right. I'm not having this that Loris Carrius <laughs> okay, is the guy who goes who in. Want? I think it's got to be Alisson or... The problem with this podcast <laughs> is, right, is that especially this, and I like it. Notes. <laughs> it, um, it actually um, carries favour with the the uh, chronology. So last right. year we kind of go, yeah, but if you don't have it, it then, then whereas normally you. these days people don't care about how great Roy Keane was because there's someone who they've seen in the more you know recent past that yeah. they kind of want to put forward. So I think Grobelar's, I Grobelar's actually really kind of put something forward but 
as in terms of a clear impact. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I mean, there was definitely clear impact. Fine, put Loris Carius in there, but later you have to give us one. I'm negotiating no, no, this. No, yeah, that's fine. But hang on, who are you putting ahead of Carius then? Probably Grobelar. Probably, I mean, like you said, there's an England, there's an England goalkeeper in there. But for you're years saying good. Ca- you're talking about good. We're talking about impact. Ripple yeah, effect. Had imp- yeah, ripple had- effect. One of the biggest ripple effects of Liverpool's entire history, and I think you can make this argument is that the success that they had in the 70s and the 80s with these great goalkeepers, or with one great goalkeeper, really, maybe actually two, um, was that then they then suffered for 30 years and the suffering was exacerbated because of that. So I would argue that the great success that Liverpool had then exacerbated the 30 years. That's a a dangerous precedent precedent to set because we're going to keep going back to that unless it's clear. Jamie. It's also slightly abstract because Carrius had two impacts. Hello. He had hello. <laughs> yeah. He had the impact of chucking in the Champions League. Yeah. Impact number one. And impact number two, he possibly created Alisson. Not as in gave birth to Alisson. <laughs> and say like Jersey Dudek, Jersey Dudek, that save happened to him. Yeah. He stole someone else's idea. And in terms of, oh, that means, that means, yeah. That means Gerard, Gerard's staying, right? Oh, he stayed. And... They didn't win the Premier League and the Champions League again. Karius, Karius, thank you. Well done. I mean, I don't you care. can have Karius. Take, right. take Karius. Got a long then. way to go. Yeah, you, <laughs> we've spent about fifteen minutes <laughs> on goalkeeper. <laughs> well, yeah, often happens. Trent Alexander-Arnold. Mm. I'm going to put him him out there. Right back's a fascinating position for Liverpool in the first place. Yes, yeah. I know. I I think there's one that might have made it into your dream team that might make it into this, or you you might want to put forward. But let me put forward the the. Fascinating ripple effect of Trent Alexander-Arnold. So if Nathan Klein, maybe it's Nathan Klein. Is it? Nath- it's not Nathaniel, isn't it? It's not Nathan Klein. Sorry, it's Nathaniel, Nathaniel Klein. Klein. If we're going Carrius, we have to go Klein. Okay, the same logic. okay well, I don't know. Look. Jamie, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> if Nathaniel Klein doesn't get injured in 2017, Liverpool wouldn't have won the Champions League in 2019. So Klein suffered an injury a back injury in the lead up to the 2017-18 season. This meant that Trent was given a chance to prove himself in the team as a rotational option with Joe Mm. Gomez in the right back position. Gomez. But in August 2017, he scored a free kick in a 2-1 Champions League playoff win over Hoffenheim. Absolute belter of a goal as well. And in 2019, well, that was kind of the end of it. He became the right back. And in 2019, of course, he then goes on to take the corner that was taken quickly against Barcelona and sets up Divock Origi to lead the club to a 4-3 aggregate win and earn himself a spot in the final against Tottenham. Incredibly quickly, mm-hmm. Divock Origi is linked with uh, Sheffield United. How I do love you feel it. about that? Just, I can't, can't just get come home, yes. wear red and white. Okay. Yeah. Good. So, yeah, so Trent, I think, is is that, that quick corner and... And I think the impact that he's going to have moving forward is obviously going to be huge. Mm-hmm. He is in the, the recent past, which is a problem. So maybe Nathaniel Clyde needs to take that spot. There's an element of... Of course he doesn't need to take that spot. There's an element you're of recent getting confused fires. with greatness. No, you're getting confused <laughs> with what the exercise is here. You put, I listen to that podcast. I listen religiously to this podcast. Yeah. And I've got to say... The bias you show towards Manchester United shows Don't your, be that guy. your what hate you on about? My, my <laughs> what you, I get told I hate Man United all the time. You also get, like, what I love is you get, uh, especially people like you, neutrals, as I put it, always get told that they hate whichever team it is they're covering at that point. But I just, I won't stand for it, James. It's but just I, absolute rubbish what you're saying here. I think just, just take in this. You're getting 
You'll feel like I'm attacking. You feel like I'm attacking you because I'm trying to put oh, a Liverpool don't play player the victim card, in the Liverpool James. team. No, not now. That's what We've we're been to marriage counselling over this. We can't do this. All right. Um, I think. I think I can. I'll, Nathaniel Klein cannot be Liverpool's right back for most impactful player of all time. Trent possibly, and we can make a good argument. I can add to your Trent argument, right? Okay, cool. So say Nathaniel Klein doesn't go out there. I think Liverpool are still looking now for a right back that can fulfill what it is that they want Trent to do, right? Right. Because the, 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 almost so much of the issue at Liverpool right now is that they, if, I said it to Jamie this morning, if Trent is not a scouser, he's seen as a luxury player at Liverpool right. due to his language, uh, body language, all these kind of things. And people go, no way, get him out or like move him on somewhere else. Because he's a scouser, because we we there's almost this mentality of we need to accommodate him in the team, and rightly so. Because do you of think who they would is. look to move him on if he wasn't a I, scouser? I think they'd be saying, "Look, we you know we we he's love, still world class though, isn't it? He's world class, but I think there wouldn't be the same attachment to him, and people would be saying, as much as I like him, he doesn't fit in at centre back. You know, everyone I, I've made the case for him playing in central midfield, but at the moment that doesn't seem to be working out in that way. And you know, right back clearly isn't where he's he wants to be right now so i think I, i'm just saying i think there would be a more negative case towards him i'm not saying people would move him on necessarily but i think it's a big ripple effect that liverpool would still be looking trent's got this other ripple effect too which is possibly on the type of football klopp's playing because klopp didn't play this way at dortmund and he didn't play this way at Mainz. quite conservative fullbacks from klopp before this wasn't it exactly and this is a little bit more ambitious but i wonder how much of this inverted fullback box midfield is inspired by the fact that fullbacks Trent maybe being the most obvious example, can play in midfield. Mm. So there's a little bit of a reinvention of the, like, you know, because 10 years ago we thought, whoa, guys, fullback's changing so much. Fullback's dart up and down the pitch yeah. now. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, no, like Timber. Okay, he does something different to what Alexander-Arnold does. But now Thomas Partey starts last night for Arsenal at right back. So the ripple effect of Trent might not just be Liverpool, but maybe on how fullbacks are perceived. Uh, right. The one thing I would say there is that Cancelo, that's happening there. Yeah, absolutely. Prior to it. He's not the starting point of that. He's the starting point, you know, in terms of the Liverpool side that, that won the league. I think that's interesting in terms of find, attempting to find a way to get, to sort of unleash Trent and get those numbers that you got before. And just because you can do something, should you do something? That's kind that's of the question here. And, and whether you sacrifice what you'd love to do with that player, that quality player, in order for the greater good, if you yeah. like. We've been through that generation of Steven Gerrard where there was a lot of sacrifice to accommodate Gerrard right. and there was seen as a lot of piano carriers. But if you look back at that team, it was a great... There were some really good people in that side that sacrificed quite a lot of what they wanted to do. The, the only other person I think we're overlooking here and it's due to one stat that Jamie gave me, was Steve Finnan. Sure. Steve, uh, Jamie, Sorry, do what? the... Do I the thought you were about to say Alan Kennedy. Yeah, um, no, Alan Kennedy is one, Phil Neal's also the other. But yeah, yeah. Um, give me, give me, the, give me the, the spiel on Finnan, because I think this is such an impactful uh, stat. Yeah, so Steve Finnan actually has got ahead of us and said live himself, he thinks he changed the 2005 European Cup final by coming off. So he's played two Champions League finals, and he got subbed, pulled at halftime in both of them. When he was on the pitch, Liverpool conceded five times. When he was off the pitch, they didn't concede and scored four times. <laughs> and Steve Finnan, Steve Finnan has probably, by impact, mathematically... Also, with the, in that halftime and the, when it was 3-0, I think there's something where someone else is going to get taken off. 
And instead, Stephen Finner went, oh, no, actually, I'm I'm injured. It might have been Traore. I mean, it had to be Traore. <laughs> like, <laughs> everyone was going, everyone's going, anyone, anyone injured? Someone's you looking, look injured, Jimmy. <laughs> you look hurt, mate. He's going, I'm fine. I'm going to kick you. <laughs> he, he got in the shower. He got in the shower. And there's some story of someone who went on to warm up a little bit earlier. That's it. Saw him coming out on the pitch for the second half. But like the last he'd seen of him, he was in the towel. Yeah. In the shower. And he thought, we're in trouble here. 3-0 down. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, close. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not sure. I'm going to put Finn in, in there. I think he's going to be trained. One so thing I was going to say to you again, like just coming back to with Klopp, we spoke about this last week. Is and this might be one that we expand on probably more so than the other one, but ah, who cares? Is okay. Klopp ruthless enough? Because the Trent thing kind of plays into this. So, so I think I think Klopp is more ruthless than we give him credit for. But I think Klopp at the moment is trying to achieve something which is I'm not sure I'm not sure Liverpool currently have their best 11 in mind so I think yeah sure we can have a discussion over how ruthless Klopp is but I'm not sure we understand the ruthlessness of Klopp within the side I've seen him cut multiple players we've seen him make not uh, very big decisions and I just think it what so you tell me Klopp if Klopp was ruthless he cut Trent Alexander-Arnold no what I'm saying is (sighs) He's kind of moved. He's moved away from what Liverpool were great at. Pressing. Why didn't Why didn't he just go like for like, and go? Okay, this midfield needs refreshing. Like for like, right? Do what you did two years ago. I don't think let Trent three, stay out wide. I don't think that works anymore. I think part of the issue and part of the reason Liverpool got slowed down was because they were worked out. A lot of the ideas and shapes and movement that they had was beginning to feel a little bit outmoded and you could easily negate a lot of what Liverpool were trying to achieve on the pitch. And so they had to change. Change for the sake of change, I think is a real problem. And I think sometimes around the discussion with the way that Liverpool changed, I think they bought in Thiago. Just because they changed doesn't mean the change made them improve. Now, I think they needed to change, but I think they could have taken different routes. And you're right, I think that. But I don't clarity know. Clarity of vision is important here. Isn't I don't it? know if it's That's... down to re- yeah, and I'm not sure Liverpool have that clarity yeah. of what it is they're trying to achieve right now. I think Klopp probably does, and I think Pep is number two probably does, and there are a number of people that do have that clarity. But I wonder if there's full buy-in right now around what Liverpool are trying to achieve. I think he's got a lot more of that this season than he did last season. I remember going to the Brighton game last season and watching the players walking around on that field and going, they they were shaking their head after they passed the ball. And for me, I was like, that's not acceptable mm. for Liverpool to have players out there passing the ball and then going, nope. But I get your point with Trent. I think Trent's a very a highly impactful player. I wonder if there's an element I, of recency I, bias here. I've really the, changed on him. I, I, I don't care about the weaknesses. I no, just so think he's uh, yeah. wonderful. No, no, and, and the more that he's, he's in not Reese James, like he's not Reese James, and like, he's not trying I, to be. I previously said I stand. It, I think Reese James is a better right back, all in. But can Trent change a game? Yeah, and I think I've, I saw a few things from that uh, from the game. Uh, God, who did they play against Bournemouth? Yeah, where I think that th- that three is going to be really good fun. Sabozlai and Trent, and, and you'll have a bit. Like, he'll actually have width as well as I think. The problem is with uh, with all of us, we consume so much. And people go down sort of roads and go, this is definitely it now. And like him in the midfield role is the problem. The thing that I, the main thing that you'll definitely see all season long and probably for the end of time now, because football's got to that level now, is that no team is anything. 
they're, they're kind of everything and they need to be. It's big, and that's that's where I think Liverpool have struggled. They were they were so something. Yes. And now they, they've changed that identity and the players didn't, I think that quite a few of the players didn't like that change. Mm. Uh, also because they, they peaked during that time where they were so something. Yeah. And, and that was so And difficult. to say Arsenal, I always go to them. And actually, I kept using the word in the video, I kept using the word um, fluent. Mm-hmm. And loads of people uh, comment down again, does he mean fluid? Why does he keep saying fluent? No, and I was like, fluent, I meant yeah. fluent. Because... Being fluent is being able to, you know, do something quickly, effectively, how you want to, without even really thinking about it. And that's what these teams need. To, they need to be at that level now because it is such a chess match. Yeah. Well, there are some flu- there are some very fluent players in the Liverpool side. The problem with Liverpool too is they have changed, but it feels like they were dragged. Just their results were bad enough that they had to change. Because if you look at Keita and Oxley Chamberlain, they kind of do feel like for like a central midfield players. They're energetic. They're high energy. So I think Klopp possibly initially was like, hey, let's just rebuild this in the same shape. N- Naby Keita never played many games for Liverpool, but if, if if I could have included a player that obviously wasn't impactful, but is impactful in Liverpool's history, I think I've said it on this podcast before, Naby Keita is a hugely impactful signing at Liverpool that never came off. Right. And I think if that signing comes off, we, Liverpool are possibly playing the formation that you laid this Liverpool team out in, where it's a 4-2-4, mm. but essentially it's a 2-4-4. And Naby Keita is a huge part of that, I think. And Liverpool have never quite um, recovered, should we say, from that signing, and that signing never quite working out. That's a podcast, isn't it? In the, itself, the pl- signings that should have like, who is it? I was thinking, of, is it Diaby at Arsenal? Oh God, Diaby was. And so if you know, if you go back and watch the Diaby, you know, the streets I'll never forget type videos, that or the Diaby was a problem. Like <laughs> he, he was, he was genuinely fantastic to watch. But you only ever saw that in like a Luton Town FA Cup game or something like that, or you know, a, a nothing yeah. team like Wimbledon. Right. Harsh. Um, <laughs> it's a joke. Tra- Tra- Trent's in there. Trent's in there. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Uh, Centre-backs. Jamie Carragher. He's, uh, he's second place for all time. Most own goals scored. He's got seven. Uh, and the 1999... What are you doing, 2007. What are you doing? Yeah, well, needling away, you little... Needling away. I, don't, I like Jamie. Yeah. Um... In the 99-2000 season, he scored two own goals against Man United in a 3-2 loss. Without those two goals, Liverpool would have po- uh, probably won the match and finished on 69 points that season, but they didn't. And instead, they finished on 67 points and missed out on a third place, um, on third place two leads, sorry. Mm. So, Leeds fans, feel free to tweet Carragher and thank him for your Champions League run. The following With this season. clip, if you would, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, had Karen not only uh, not scored these own goals, Liverpool would have finished third on goal difference. Uh, at this time, fourth place was only good enough for a spot in the UEFA Cup. But Carragher also had his positives, of course. He was vice-captain to Steven Gerrard for 10 years and won 11 trophies in that time. Carragher also made a last-man tackle on Shevchenko yeah. in Istanbul when the score was 3-3. A bit like the Dudek chat. Uh, ta- a tackle that nobody talks about. He... Uh, do you know what? There's a bit of a ripple effect for him. He's probably the impact he's having now. Previously, it was, you know, as a player, it was sort of being a standard bearer. Now, as a pundit, I think it's, I think there's a, there's an effect on uh, the, uh, the way we view players when they become pundits and we hear them talk too much and they become a little bit too human. Mm-hmm. Carragher and Neville both have had unbelievable careers. And yet both are kind of known as like not actually being very good footballers. And that's just not the case at all. In terms of understanding how to be successful on a football pitch, Jamie Carragher, I think, is apart from the own goals, Jamie Carragher, I think, is massively, massively underrated. It was interesting, though, because Haaland did an interview with Sky Sports after the Burnley game. And someone tweeted, like, Neville and Carragher look like hobbits next to him. They went up to his nipples. I mean, seriously. And they shouldn't have. <laughs> that was an unusual segment. Yeah. 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 Sky very <laughs> experimental. Yeah. 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 And now Holland yeah. nipples. He had a VR headset on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here. <laughs> there. Yeah. But when we mention Carragher in terms of the ripple effect, I potentially quite harshly think perhaps he bears some responsibility for being the type of player who was top, but not ever good enough for Liverpool to win the league. And when I thought it, I thought, wow, that's a bit harsh. But I am interested in whether Carragher being a scouse and being a standard bearer in some abstract way bears some responsibility for Liverpool not That's hitting interesting. the heights. Is that I always have this idea that sometimes some players are, uh, I call them barometer players. Mm-hmm. So QPR had a player called Jamie Mackey. And if Jamie Mackey was starting in your team, something wasn't right. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in the Premier League. Like, we are right, we're reverting to... There was, I think, I remember asking someone on the podcast this, and in the comments someone said someone like, um, Mariapa was a player for Watford that shouldn't really be in the team. Yeah. But if the team's struggling and they need someone they can just trust, then Mariapa was a great, great player to come in. And I think, to your point, and obviously the expectation levels are much higher... Well, th- there's, I mean, we're kind of, this is silly, really, because we're both saying that, and I kind of agree with what you're saying. But also, he's in he's in most all-time lists, isn't he? Or he's certainly, maybe Alan Hansen's knocking about in I there mean, as well. Uh, there's a, there's some good lists of Liverpool centre-backs. Like, obviously, there's Hansen. There's another one we'll come on to later. There's, like, the Ron Yates types, and Sammy Huppier is kind of in there, who's probably also falls into that category of really good centre-back. But is he quite good enough to win the league? maybe alongside someone else. I, I felt that way. I feel that way about... I, I feel like someone like Carragher is the same level as someone like Vidic for me. And you same may, level? Yeah. In terms of impact? In terms of impact for a side. In terms of leadership, in terms of all those kind of things. And I think very often, like Vidic, uh, Vidic gets a lot of credit that I think other players don't get and we're very quick to quantify that and it was because he was part of a Manchester United side that protected him very well and I think Carragher sometimes because of the way that Liverpool played their football in the years post Benitez doesn't get the credit that he deserves because very often those guys were left quite wide open. That's a great point because the, the team you're playing does matter. Like we, so we've just done, I just recorded the narrative this morning and one of the narratives is that Jordan Pickford's not an elite goalie. And I was like, that's got nothing to do with it. He plays for Everton. Mm-hmm. They ship goals. Like if you put any goalkeeper, like Julio Cesar played for QPR, right? 
and he looked I mean he actually looked great but like it, it's it does matter who you're playing for I think that's really interesting Carragher up against Vidic and how like not, it's seen but I'm not, I'm not saying therefore that you know I'm sure Vidic compares favorably in, especially in terms of silverware but and but certainly also in terms of achievements in the Premier League right but there's facilitation of those achievements. And I'm not saying, therefore, if you take Vidic out and you put Garriger in, but I see them as similar levels of player. And I know Manchester United fans are going to have a fit over that, but it is what it is. But it's feast and famine with Carragher, because you're right, post Benitez, they played a bit higher. But during Benitez, not to sound like Gary Neville, but they sort of played in the Klopp. In the Klopp? In the Klopp. In the Klopp, yeah. In the Klopp. And they had that players... Years later, they played in the Klopp. <laughs> yeah. He had players around him and also being scouts, he kind of gets a 10% reputational bonus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, seven own goals. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. But he put himself in the right area. He, yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. I wonder if he was next to Rio Ferdinand, how he'd look. Because Nemanja Vidic, beyond just playing in a successful United team, had like Patrice Evra and Gary Neville. Sure, and... but I mean, yeah, at the same time, everyone makes the case of, for Vidic of, you know, he played without Rio post and there's loads of nominations for him and all sorts of things. I'm, I'm just putting them in, in similar strata and in similar ways. I think very often it's about the story you tell about these people. And I think that, that very often people are unkind to Jamie Carragher. And, I, you know, the, the opening monologue that you started with partly plays into that I think his scouseness also means that people judge him a little bit harshly because not not because it's like oh he's scouse but there is often this kind of um, rubber band effect with when someone's mentioned as scouse it's like oh then well let's right. give him a bit of a hard time then or it's like you know maybe if he was a mank people would be like yeah he's a bit of you know he's an oasis lad well with the when you're saying about Trent does Trent get as much abuse and critique if he's not scouse as well, as much as being given given the opportunity to, no, probably just probably doesn't. neither, right? No, but that, but Liverpool wear that very proudly, and I think it goes both ways. You know, if Carragher wasn't scouse, he wouldn't have the same love from Liverpool fans either. So it goes both ways. And you are right though about Gary Neville and Carragher. There's this perception of oh, we weren't they weren't very good, but it's actually just self-deprecation gone wrong because they were top. I mean, Gary Neville particularly won twelve Premier Leagues or eight Premier Leagues, whatever it is. Yeah. But the two of them kind of being nice guys and, you know, we're kind of mates for kind of enemies. Kind of. Yeah. I think Carragher's he's a little bit unlucky um, in terms, aesthetically, he's not as impressive as a Vidic. Vidic is what you want to draw when you draw a centre-back. Yeah. You want a broken nose. You want him to be six foot two or whatever he was. Serbian. Carragher's a little bit, yeah, ideally Serbian. You want them to be, not in my book, but you want them to be ideally uh, a bit of a, a bastard. Yeah, exactly. And Carragher's uh, like... He's, Carragher's more of an oik. Yeah, yeah, he's your dad's. He's your dad's mate. Who you sort of go? Oh God, is he coming over? I, I have to chuck in just with the sort of, I guess, the punditry element of it, and just general impact. Now, first of all, sort of uh, trophies, games, um, beautiful ability as well, Alan Hansen. But no, huge no, ripple yeah. effect on in terms of his punditry, and I oh, think this God, is a cycle go that goes on. round. This is a cycle that goes round because I think so. Now, I actually think Jamie Carragher, for a period of time, helped kind of facilitate a better feeling around Liverpool of course it's all down to clock really but the problem that people have, will have seen in recent years I think is the problem of Rio Ferdinand Hargreaves Michael Owen Paul Scholes mm -hmm. all these players who are in my day under Fergie under Fergie under Fergie now back in the 90s you had a lot less uh, football media and Alan Hansen was the Gary Neville of his time right and he did the same thing. You had him and you had Lawrence and you had two Liverpool legends. And what came with that was a real pressure for these Liverpool sides to go and succeed because we'd done it previously. And, and if you like us, yeah. And, 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 and it's just inevitable that that, that obviously occurs. And I think that helped with Man United sort of not having that pressure put on them at that time on that one flagship show.
I agree with. I I do agree with that. I think I, I think, think I'd chuck in Hanson. You know. What Hansen is an all-time? I mean, I'd put him ahead of Carragher. I think I put him ahead of. Carragher. I'd probably put him ahead of Carragher. I mean, he's also Liverpool's greatest ever centre-back, marginally ahead of. So it's a lovely mix. Yeah, you know, he is. You know what's interesting though is you're right. Like standards work both ways. On the one hand, you set the standard for Liverpool Football Club so high, but then put the pressure on. Sure. The next generation. Yeah, and I mean, thirteen that, years, but eight the, league, eight league titles. That's an unbelievable cups. It's un, like, that's, it's, that's a that's unnamed. a scrape. He just he was so classy, and I think he, in an era where players were basically just going to absolutely ruck each other into the ground, he was just elegant and the, the complete opposite of what you would expected. And he's an adopted scouser, and he's a Scot, so he's, he's, he represents a lot of what Liverpool are. Okay, let's keep moving. Virgil Van Dijk. I think Virgil Van Dijk has to go. He whispered. Uh, 100%. 75 million, Liverpool's most expensive ever signing at that point. He was signed at a time where Liverpool were crying out for a left-sided centre-back. We've argued about, obviously, centre-back pairings. I think he is that A-side that Liverpool have been looking for for years after losing someone like Carragher or whoever it is that you want to put in as Liverpool's A-side. And he came in and weirdly, like, had never been at a... a like, you would have thought Liverpool would have signed him from, like, Barcelona sure. or AC Milan Ajax, or yeah. yeah Ajax or a team where you go they do the defending yeah yeah but they signed him from Southampton and it was weird it was like this diamond in the rough that you were so, like you he came but he was finished and it basically just went plug and play in you go yeah it was amazing and it was straight away I mean I don't know how we're calculating ripples and the size of ripples but if you're looking at pace to ripple mm. like he came in made his debut against Everton scored the winner on yeah. his debut and Liverpool as a back four, never looked back. And coming back to the Carragher thing, as I think there is something in that that standard. And I think Carragher would probably say this himself, but like, when Van Dijk comes in, you go, oh, it's up here, is it? Right, oh, it's that level, is it? Oh, okay, I've got it. That is that is the difference. That's that sort of Rio Ferdinand level of, of a centre-back. And yeah, he was, he was huge. The ripple effect in terms of Virgil van Dijk is that he saved Klopp's reputation. This is interesting. Before Van Dijk signed for Liverpool, every, everybody remembers that they were consistently conceding goals all over the shop. This was prompting people to ask questions about Klopp's ability to coach a defence. When asked about it, Klopp was a little bit defensive and said he could write a book. I can write a book on defending. Um, <laughs> uh, a pamphlet, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but when uh, Virgil van Dijk signed, it changed everything and the defence drastically improved. The signing of Virgil van Dijk and the quality he had in terms of being impossible to get past an all-round defensive game changed the feeling around Liverpool and made them much, uh, much more of a feared side. People gave up. Ball playing ability as yeah. well as a huge part was underestimated with yeah, him. If you look at some of Liverpool's most famous goals, they start from Virgil Van Dijk. There's the famous Mane goal against Bayern Munich, where there's actually this great camera angle. It's like a low camera angle, and you see Van Dijk play the ball. Mane like triggers it. It's almost like a, he's almost like a quarterback like throwing the ball downfield and Mane's like, I'll run and get it. He gets it. Neuer obviously comes out. It's this perfect finger. I think that's one of the big losses of Mane. And then people didn't want to hear it last year. But as much as sort of what Mane does, blah, 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 always fit. Yeah, amazing player. But you, you take away the ability to utilise an incredible strength of Virgil van Dijk. Because as soon as, you know, I was thinking about those kind of passes, you're thinking about that part, that diagonal run from Mane and, and Virgil van Dijk being able to put that ball over the top which is not easy to do. Uh, so he, he puts this sort of like spin on it. Yeah, like it is, it's kind of like a uh, pitching wedge where you want the ball to like roll neatly rather where, than sort of land. Where are Liverpool without Virgil van Dijk? I think they're not winning the Premier League and they're certainly not winning the Champions League. I mean, the thing with van Dijk, and I think this is what's come up, is he had everything. So 
strikers who are quick would go up against him and you wouldn't even worry as a Liverpool fan because he can just go to second gear, third gear. But then the interesting bit is he could turn and play in Mane. Klopp, prior to Van Dijk, and this is harsh, had a little bit like eccentric uncle vibes where he was like, oh, we played this crazy football and all the rest. Yeah. And then Van Dijk came in and justified it all because, oh. It's real class with him, right? Well, yeah, the defence now works, but we can also go forward. Mm. So I think the ripple effect of Van Dijk was like, I think saving Klopp's reputation is harsh, but I think it's that flavour. Van Dijk was the, the the fastest player in the Champions League in one season. And I think it was the season that Liverpool actually lost it. But he was fa- like, you know, think of all the fast players in the Champions League. We're talking yeah. about Mbappe, Neymar, Messi. There's so many fast players. I don't remember him sprinting. Uh, so he, so there was <laughs> one the, bad thing. Yeah, right? that's, that's so, the Maldini. Yeah. yeah. And the funny thing was, there's, there is a shot, obviously, I remember as a Liverpool fan, uh, of Mbappe going at him at pace. And he's... I think he might have sprinted like backwards. <laughs> so like that's how fast he was. <laughs> and he had this incredible ability to sort of, he did this thing where he, he was like a sheepdog. He used to like shepherd the players. So he didn't, he didn't have to make the tackle until quite late on. And when he did step in, they panic. And he'd look at them, wouldn't he? He would, he was yeah. still playing by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was pretty amazing really what he did. I feel like he's, he's slightly underestimated again, probably because of his scouts. Can you think of anyone who was calmer as a centre back? Because when you looked at Van Dyke on the ball, it was just very, yeah, very I get what you chilled mean. out. That's it. You know, I've, I've said this a million times, but like the players that make the game feel slower, mm-hmm. that's there, that's special. It's one or the other. Either you go, oh God, like Luis Suarez, feels like this game's been fast forward. I remember him at Loftus Road. Poor Clint Hill. Um, but we did win that game. We yeah. did win that game. Poor Sean Derry. So, so Jamie Mackey. Real, Jamie yeah. Mackey. Yeah. Come full circle. Full circle. Uh, Virgil van Dijk makes in there. Absolutely. I do have another question about him or Salah, if you've got to take one out when it comes to that team. But, but we're going to talk about Salah later, so we'll save it for then. Bob Paisley. I've got as the left back, I want to say. You want to put Bob Paisley in this side? Okay. Okay. So Liverpool signing Bob Paisley from Bishop Auckland is the worst thing to ever happen to Sunderland. <laughs> yeah. Bob Paisley is remembered as one of Liverpool's best ever managers, of course, but he would never have become manager if he hadn't signed for Liverpool as a player mm-hmm. in 1939. I think we all remember the fanfare when that one happened. What doesn't get spoken about is that Sunderland had also made an offer for him. Uh, <laughs> I'm just imagining a 1939 Sky Sports News <laughs> last minute, last minute bid to gazump. What doesn't get spoken about is that uh, Sunderland made that offer, and had he gone to Sunderland, who knows what Sunderland would have become? What Liverpool is today as a football institution is largely down to the work of Bill Shankly as manager, but Paisley was his assistant when he was there, and Paisley went on to be manager 1974 to 1983. When Bill Shankly retired, it could have been bleak for Liverpool, but Paisley took over and guided them to several honours, including three European Cups. Paisley was involved with Liverpool from 1939 to 1983 and has undoubted icon status. Not Not playing icon arguably but could Although, you do it today yeah <laughs> you know the funny thing is actually do you know when we were talking earlier um if you said so you said you know you have to be something to everyone or you have to be much more uh you know amenable to different tactics in modern game that's what that's what bob paisley was if, if you wanted liverpool to play passing football then they would play passing football if you wanted liverpool to sit deep that's why they were so adaptable in europe mm. and they could he was a, they were great readers of the game the way they were coached was so adaptable he was so progressive for liverpool and made them so uh, adaptable in that time that's why they went on and just went around europe and went go on then we'll, what are we going to do today a bit more of an ancelotti vibe 
definitely yeah. and, and very extremely humble man probably one of the most humble men in the game and he he obviously uh is one of the few to take three european cups which is solid yes, there's only a couple solid of managers effort. that have ever done that yeah and one of the ripples potentially is on how liverpool fans think about england because the traditional reasoning has been well even pre-thatcher Liverpool fans weren't obsessed with the national team. And the reason is they had European football anyway. Right. They didn't need their England internationals to go didn't to... They didn't have the money for, right, to, to go on more trips away. Well, they, yeah, they just didn't need to. They had yeah. their Estonian weekend or <laughs> midweek. Maybe, maybe. And I, well, maybe they're also with Liverpool, that maybe that Scottish presence... That's uh, a really big part of Liverpool. Scot Scottishness is a massive part of Liverpool. Yeah. The team of all the Max was one of the first Liverpool teams of all time, if not the first Liverpool team of all time, which was just a load of, well, a lot of Scotsmen put together. Um, and Bob Paisley was also the, the guy who coached a lot of the Liverpool greats and the guy who then fostered the boot room after Bill Shankly was gone. I feel like the idea of the boot room continued because of Bob Paisley. So that's another one. You can't put him playing. There's probably better. Oh. Left I mean, you're getting again. You're getting you're getting sort of stuck in the rules here a little. Right. Bit. Okay. I don't know wow. If you okay. Need to do that. So you you're genuinely saying Bob Paisley, all time great Liverpool. Man. Just to be clear, Bob Paisley is not Scottish. Okay, he's from Sunderland, but it, the northern broadly, element. Yeah, yeah, that northern yeah. element. And but what he did continue was the people. boot room and all those kind of yeah. things. Yeah, I, I'm happy to put. Look, I'm happy to hear other nominees. Off you go. Uh, I mean, obviously, you can't say someone like John Arnarisa, but there are a couple of other. Uh, and although is Risa, is, is, don't critique if you haven't got one. Okay, he's, he's don't an, critique if you haven't got one. Bob Paisley. I think is a good shout. I think if the last ten years have shown us anything, it's that successions are difficult. Wenger, Ferguson. So for Paisley to come in and continue the boot room and continue the success, it probably sets the scene for the next thirty years of Liverpool football. Well, club. You also could then go for Ronnie Moran was another one in that list. Uh, Alan Kennedy was someone who I put in there, but these are people who are pre our memory, yeah. should we say? Andy Robertson isn't far off actually. You could put Andy Robertson, but he doesn't have a ripple. So Bob Paisley has to go in there in terms of ripples, I okay. guess. And Tom Bromelow was another name. He's like a wartime uh, great for Liverpool and is a, a big name in, in terms of Liverpool history, managed a lot, um, and just someone who's kind of overall impactful, similar to Paisley, so he's worth an honourable mention. There we go. Okay, right, midfield. So, the question I asked earlier. Roy Keane got in the Man United, impactful 11. Brian Robson missed out, because didn't get enough trophies, really. Sure. So I asked the question, does that mean Jordan Henderson should be in ahead of Steven Gerrard? Um, Steven Gerrard... There's so many ripple effects when it comes to him. Um, I think we're going to have to do a podcast on Gerard himself, to be honest. Probably so it, with Gerard himself. You could get him right now. Do you think he'd be available? I think so. Okay. Might be a Zoom call, though. Yeah, yeah, for now. I'm happy to pop Fine, over there. Yeah. Uh, his impact on the club's mentality uh, being one, similar to that, yeah, that Carragher vibe, which I think we can, you know, we can have a little chew on that. Uh, Gerard is known for his high standards, and Pete Cratch said that Gerard and Carragher routinely fired balls into new signings on their first training session as an acid test to see if there was they were going to be a good player or not. Not sure I like that. Um, staying at the club uh, instead of moving to Chelsea and ultimately sacrificing a Premier League winner's medal in the process. That goal, of course. Uh, Arrogant to think that he would just go to Chelsea and just win a league, but fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Well, they they did win leagues, didn't cool. they? And he but what if he'd gone there and just blown it up? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, obviously, the goal in the cup final against West Ham, the goal in the Champions League final, the Olympiacos goal. The Olympiacos goal. Oh, there's one against Portsmouth as well. It's just unbelievable. Gerard's goals were oh, epic. There's one against Real Madrid where he it gets cut back to him by Ryan Barbel and he like side foots it, but it looks like he's hit it with the laces. 
They, his they, feet were mental. Around the sort of 2004, 5, 6, maybe 7, there, there was like... He scored so many goals from outside the box. It was when that, that Nike ball that had the sort of like, uh, what was it? Like a line around look. it. Yeah. 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 They were just, yeah. I mean, he was look. the best. He was the best. He was, it, there was a period where Steven Gerrard was the best midfielder on the planet. I, you know, the thing I always go back to with Gerrard is that if you had 11 Gerrards, it would be 11 of any other player, possibly aside from Rude Hullet. Maybe Seed, maybe Seedorf. But still, he's, I think Gerrard's probably the one. He's uh, the one you pretended to be in your garden, right? Like, he's the one who you like. He was so Roy of the Rovers. Yeah, and yeah, you always go towards that. And in terms of the ability to, again, another thing from the narrative, just sorry, because it's the front of my mind, Kweku was talking about um, Raheem Sterling and saying that he's a player that will thrive when the team is thriving, but he's not got that sort of dragability. Now, Gerard has, new word from Alcott, that's mine. Stephen Gerard had dragability. Do you think you can drag modern teams? Like, that was an era where you maybe could... You could sit back and then one player could drag. I'm I not hope sure so. you could do that. In this I, I want to still believe in dragability. Who's the biggest dragger at the moment in the Premier League? KDB's not a bad drag, you know. I genuinely think there are a few games where Man City have sat back and mm. gone, oh, I can't do this. And KDB's gone, I'll get us through this. Gritted his teeth. And there's shades of Gerrard in that. Yeah. Yeah, he's not. Um, he won't go and win the ball first from that point of view. That's, again, uh, Gerrard. Gerrard was as good as De Bruyne. I know people can debate this, but you know what I mean, loosely. From an attacking point of view, goal-scoring ball, uh, goal scoring point of view, um, assists, but also he'll go and win the ball first as well. And that's amazing. And I'm he passes the eye It's got to be players that are doing it now. Well, Zaha was a bit drag, dragged Palace for ages, yeah. but wingers who drag teams don't you know, oh, no, but strike the cord in quite the same oh, way. No. So carrying and dragging are two different things, though. So you you can't do that. You, um, it's bang on. Yeah. It's so perceptive. You're so sad is how we all put our hands. Okay, <laughs> yeah. that is spot on. Yeah. That is spot on. You can't do... So Gerard dragged <laughs> Igor Bishkan. Gerard <laughs> dragged Jimmy Traore. Gerard dragged multiple players within that Liverpool team. It, it, people just looked at Sahar and go, go on then, give it a go. Like with Gerard, you would look at him and go, wow, look at that man. Adversity is the key variable there. Because right. I think draggers really like scruff of the neck type analogies yeah, kind of happen here has someone like, I, I think Jude Bellingham has that drag ability he looks like he has that ability do you know what the thing is though I feel like maybe Gerard got a bit you can get a bit addicted to the drama and you know when you talk about the, the new players they like fizz the ball in at those kind of people and maybe that is an element of Liverpool where it's like you know are you good enough to be here they kind of, he created maybe a bit of an environment where maybe only certain kinds of players could thrive. And I feel like Klopp has got a slightly more holistic kind of like raw family here. Yeah. And if anyone did that in training, Klopp would be like, that'd be a dick. Like, what are you doing that Do you know for? what? So Man United, they, they would talk about the box. You have to go into, be able to keep the ball in the box. And I think the problem that Gerard and Carragher had was... They sort of wanted to. They wanted a box, but there's only two of them. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know and maybe I mean? there was yeah, like yeah. I think there were one or two more players where you like Mascherano and a lot. There were certain players where they were seen as good enough to be in the box, but they weren't hard enough. Mascherano was definitely gritty. You needed enough bodies, didn't you? you just didn't have enough of those bodies. It's like when the UN. It's like when the UN has like guest hosts. Like they're part of the big main squad, but they're like only you know like Torres. Like yeah, yeah, you can come like have lunch with us. But come on, you're not in the WhatsApp chat. Torres was a nasty... I think Torres was a, a very sly player and, and that kind of got found out in the end. But the, Dirk Kout, people like that, Jamie Carragher, I think Pepe Reino has since sort of shown some colours where you sort of go, 
wow, you're nasty, aren't you? <laughs> so yeah. there's, yeah. I think the overall baseline was maybe higher, and that's why they're fizzing it in, but actually it was maybe to the detriment. Anyway. It, it was to the detriment, and there's a few um, There's a few where you do wonder. I, so there's a couple of stories I can't tell on this podcast, uh, but one of them is that when Liverpool made some new signings early, Brendan Rodgers, a couple of the Liverpool players questioned whether they had the heart and whether they were up to it. And I think early on that undermined a lot of confidence and a lot of players ended up leaving Liverpool fairly quickly because they were basically ruled as not good enough. And very quickly it got out to Liverpool legends and the players who were sort of the, you know, the selected few that go out there and they were going round the media and basically going, nah, they're not up to it. And it undermined a lot of the rebuild at Liverpool post um, Benitez and post Arsleash. Yeah. Yeah. So Gerard and Henderson then. First of all, I mean, Gerard has, has had a ripple effect with Henderson at both ends of his career. First of all, kind of giving yeah. him a chance um, and helping him. I think it was also shoes to fill for Henderson that I think Henderson in the end stepped into. Henderson, different player in a different team and so much more quality around him as well. Um, but was there to lift the trophies and lift the trophies well. Got to say, I always enjoy the little, yeah, the little, you know, created something there. He's got obviously a clear legacy there. And then Gerard rips him from uh, Liverpool's um, sweet embrace. Although at the same time for the bulk of last season, people were kind of saying he's done. Let's let him go anyway. Is there, is this not the same as Roy Keane and Robson? um, Because Gerard did win that Champions League and therefore you can't put Henderson in ahead of him. The thing that I don't like about having Henderson in this team is I don't think Henderson would have been totally irreplaceable. I think you could have found yourself another Henderson uh, who could have done the Captain Leader Legend thing. Whereas Gerard's, I think his ripple is that he is so unique. Mm. Mm. I agree. I th- uh, yeah, I think it is different. I think if he doesn't have that Champions League, because the problem, so the problem with Brian Robson is uh, he is sort of forgotten about due to the fact that there's you know less footage of, of him as well. Um, whereas we we all saw so much more of Steven Gerrard and less trophies as well. He was before that sort of golden era. Gerrard was before that golden era, but they still won, you know, UEFA Cups and FA Cups and all those bits as well. Yeah, I think you can make the argument for Gerrard way more easily than you can for Jordan sure. Henderson. And Jordan maybe Jordan Henderson's ripples are also slightly more self-contained. They're his own ripples, whereas Gerrard ripples the whole club. Yeah. So I, I'd argue Gerrard is in this uh, impactful eleven. Let's uh, carry on. Xavi Alonso. Xavi Alonso is the reason Arsenal made a title challenge last season. Did you know that? Go on. Did you know that? <laughs> well, Xavi Alonso was at the club for five years and during that time was one of the best in the world in his position. His friendship with Mikel Arteta. <laughs> dum, dum, dum. Was that they're both living in Liverpool kind of thing? Is what convinced Arteta to move to the city of Liverpool and sign for Everton. Wow. <laughs> where he got most of his tactical ideas down the years and ultimately <laughs> progressed to be yeah. Mikel Arteta. Long ball. <laughs> you skipped the queue, got a job too quickly, and now Alonso looks like he's got it. No. This then led to Arteta joining Arsenal a few years later and the connection uh, he had with the club is what enabled him to get the job as manager despite never having managed prior. Xavi Alonso is also currently the manager of Bayer Leverkusen and his connection with Liverpool may mean he is next in line to the Liverpool manager job. This could, chucking him in here, could, okay, less so for Liverpool, but it could age well. It feels like a Liverpool manager, doesn't he? 
Uh, he does feel like a Liverpool manager because he's kind of, I think he's a rose-tinted glasses uh, club legend. That uh, You know, Paul Machen, I think, makes a really good argument as to why maybe Xabi Alonso's more fondly remembered than he should be. There's also elements with Alonso of other ripples. For instance, like Alonso was going to be forced out of the club by Rafa Benitez for, does anyone know the name? Gareth Barry. Yeah. Benitez badly wanted Gareth Barry because he was an adaptable left-sided midfielder and he would have seen Gareth Barry and Mascherano at the club. It would have been interesting to see what Barry would have done. I feel like obviously he went on to have that time at City. Alonso uh, stayed because I think ultimately he didn't want to be forced out. There was something along those lines. And that, that's another big ripple for Liverpool. Do you think Alonso is as great a Liverpool legend if he doesn't go on to play for Real Madrid and Bayern Munich? It's a really good question. I don't think so. I think with Alonso, part of the appeal is like, oh, it's Xavi Alonso. Show, isn't he? Yeah, right. Like he's got the... <laughs> Why'd you look at me when you... <laughs> I, don't know, I, was, I, was, I was enjoying it with you. No, as yeah, a fellow yeah, hipster. Yeah, yeah. There's something about the class of Xavi Alonso, which makes him so appealing to look back on. But you're right. Without, Liverpool, without the time at Real Madrid, do you think... Because the right answer is Graham Souness. Like, yeah. In terms of, again, impact, this way, the Rapples. other way around, impacting other people's bodies... Yeah. Um, that's that's kind of what Sunes was about. Obviously, an amazing player as well. And did he have a detrimental effect as a manager in terms of stepping in to the role? I guess it was after Dalglish, or it was. I'm trying to remember. I think it was after Dalglish. So, so, so Sunes came post Dalglish, yeah. yeah. But mainly because Kenny Dalglish stepped down very suddenly at Liverpool. And they needed someone else to come in. They needed to for him to be um, impactful. And ultimately, <laughs> like he wasn't there very long because he had the heart surgery. And then Ronnie Morant came back in. So it was a weird time for Liverpool then. Anyway, I feel like that that whole period. Maybe we'll get onto it. it it was just a really unpleasant time. And I think that's probably why people like Graham Souness get overlooked because it's such a painful period in the club's history. I think, I think as a manager, though, he, did, he had enough of a go. And again, you know, I guess at that point in time, you're not as aware of recruitment. But sure. in, the sort of, in those early 90s seasons, it was, it was poor overall. Like, it wasn't what was needed. It was needed. terrible, yeah. Um, and and that made them go backwards as much as him as a manager because he actually went on to have a pretty solid career as a as a Premier League manager. Yeah. But yeah, I think also as a player, incredibly frightening. Like there was, I was sort of at the back end of like playing football where you still had those really scary people that I I literally feel like you're going to break my leg, and he was kind of like that. What do you mean kind of? Like he he went out there and just went, I'm going to break your leg. Yeah. I mean we've we've seen it. We saw it at Rangers as well. He like he, he ruined someone's career for Aberdeen. I think. I think that's a big part of their rivalry was down to that. But. Him in Turkey when he was Galatasaray manager, he took the the Galatasaray flag out to the middle of the field, which is like one of the most incendiary things you can do, I think, and planted it in the middle of the field. So he, this guy was just ballsy. Yeah. Have you seen his back pass? He does the seventy-five yard back pass where Liverpool oh, yeah. are two-one up and there's like five minutes left, and there's a runner on the right and a runner on the left, and he goes, "You know where this is going." And turns 360 degrees, and or 180 degrees even, plays it back to the keeper. And I can't help but think the back pass rule that changed in 1992 yep. could have been done 15 years prior. Oh my God, yeah. On the afternoon he played that pass. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Should have been done on the afternoon he played that pass. Uh, so, yeah, a couple of options there for, for midfielders over the years. Uh, let's move over to the left-hand side, I think. John Barnes.
The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The most skillful player to ever play at Anfield? Including away sides. Carragher said something really interesting. He said that... John Barnes, if you think of Henri during that period where you're like, well, okay, you've got a force field here. You're a little bit too much. He was that, yeah. He was that in the late 80s, early 90s. Like, absolutely frightening numbers. He was uh, part of Liverpool's greatest, I think Liverpool's greatest ever team. Really? Under, under Douglas, yeah. Wow. But he, and he, I know people talk about the modern one, but under Douglas, they won things. They were beautiful. It was it was a really healing period for Liverpool in general. And also, I think what John Barnes, the, the atmosphere that John Barnes played in, was a, basically a one of racism mm. uh, and, and one of you know just absolute um, <laughs> hate for him and what he represented, and possibly even within some of his own crowd. Like there was still there was still bananas and things like that being f- thrown on the pitch um, from from certain fans. So I, I think he changed similar to the way that Mo Salah and Sadio Mane did in the modern age of Muslim players playing for Liverpool. This is a a, a black guy going to, to a predominantly white city. Uh, in a time when there were huge racial tensions all over England, so th- there's that as well. And obviously, I think he was like he didn't he play against Brazil, or there was like you know what he did for England was so massive, yeah, and he rapped. I think that's yeah. another thing. His name's John Barnes. When he score a goal, the crowd go bananas. That's <laughs> nothing's more impactful than that. Yeah, do you think he had this impact on pop culture? Where, like, the England... Cause the, he set the bar, Jamie. He really did set the bar when it came year? to musical talent. What oh. year was that? Do we have Andy Cole? Do we have Ian Wright? Yeah. Do we have Outstanding? <laughs> Without uh, John Barnes, I'm, I'm not sure we do. And actually, World in Motion is just, like... I'm happy to listen to that. Like that's a great song, and he's amazing in it. He did it at the right time. Yeah. yeah. Was, it, was that what year was that? Did that come out? 1990. Uh, yeah. Why are you looking at both of us as yeah. if we were? <laughs> I'm yeah. getting a lot of this now. Yeah. <laughs> what year did that come out again? <laughs> yeah. 1990. I was born, but I wasn't really into football. But I'd just done my. Uh, I, I, you know, I know football, don't I? Yeah. yeah. Football. That's all it is. They were champagne footballers back then. John Barnes definitely deserves to be mentioned in that team. Um, and he's, yeah, he was he was also such a beautiful player. And of course, you know, did his dad did so much for the Jamaican bobsleigh team. Well, some people saying, you know, they can't believe John Barnes. <laughs> did you know that? Yes, I did say that sentence. Did you know that his dad was one of the people that set up the Jamaican bobsleigh team? John Barnes' dad was very high up in the Jamaican army and was responsible for pretty much all the sports that operated around it. The real life character that was played by John Candy in Cool Runnings. 
was that he actually approached not John Candy but the actual person yeah. approached Barnes' dad to recruit sprinters that he wanted to put in the sled. This story then resulted in one of the best feel-good films of all time being created, and the ripple effect of that was that my dad was caught on a plane to Florida when I was nine crying <laughs> at the end of that film. I turned to him, I was in the middle seat, I said, Daddy, you all right? And he was like, they're just doing the clap bit. <laughs> and it got Gary. It's it got such Gary. a good film. <laughs> such it's a great, such a great film. John Candy, of course, sponsored the Liverpool kit for years. So that was incredible. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Uh, right. Front two. This is easy. Although, uh, sorry, we've got a, a, a right winger as well. So this is a good way of fitting everyone in. First of all, Kenny Dalgleish. Uh, he has had several different impacts uh, at Liverpool, be that scoring the winning goal in the 78 World, uh, World Cup, European Cup final against Bruges, scoring 21 league goals the following season or not missing a league game for Liverpool in four years. That's mad. That was also in a period when it was sort of frowned upon to be injured. So it was, again, it was seen sure. as, you know, obviously we started the podcast with someone who uh, got minorly injured with concussion. I imagine in an era when... You know, that was the thing where you, you wanted to concuss the opposition. You would just play on. You just crack on. Shake it off. Yeah. You know, I well, think that Kenny Dalglish even says he remember. I think it might be Kenny Dalglish. He says he played Sir Alex Ferguson earlier in his career, I think. And he says like he remembers Sir Alex Ferguson's elbows glinting in the, in the light because <laughs> wow. Sir Alex Ferguson was so uh, generous with them. It makes you think, what did Alex Ferguson think of Nanny? You know, when he was a manager, yeah, like fifty odd years later, there Loved has him, to be some apparently. form of bitterness in there somewhere, doesn't Na- it? Nanny used to take a. I know this is a Liverpool podcast, but Nanny used to get a lift or give a lift to the to the boss uh, to and from some of the games. Uh, nanny, yeah, yeah, that's that's the graveyard shift, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's like t- I'd be intrigued to see how that conversation went. Makes such a good story. So Nanny missed, so he took a penalty off. I think the designated penalty taker. He then took the penalty, missed the penalty, and I think subsequently it meant the Manchester United either drew or lost the game. Sir Alex then absolutely castigated him. Nanny then tells this story where he then was in the car after that game <laughs> on the way home with Sir Alex, and he just turns and goes, "Sorry about the penalty." And Sir Alex was just like, "That's nah, just football, son." Which I kind of like. I, I like that. And obviously, um, you know, Sir Alex was massively inspired by um, the Scots from Liverpool. Apparently, Sir Alex used to play Bill Shankly tapes on the bus on the way to uh, games. Really? To inspire some of the players. So, yeah, that that's opens another up, ripple effect. That opens up another conversation, which is you can imagine players listening to motivational music or motivational videos. Can you imagine managers kind of looking at Bielsa combinations on the sideline? Just, like watching him squat and point and thinking, I want that. I just, I always think managers are supposed to be fried. Like their brains have just got to be so, with the amount of information they've got to take in all the time. Delegations. Yeah. You've got to be a good delegator. And that's what Kenny Dalglish was, I think. I think like he was one of those empowering people. I think his aura, you know, we speak about Stephen Gerrard having that aura and dragging people. Dalglish had this infectious uh, alpha male. Uh, impact on the side and ultimately obviously he was part of a real amazing core at Liverpool but I think the thing that most people don't mention is obviously around Hillsborough as well he carried Liverpool in uh, like uh, he went to every funeral he could get to he went to visit every family how key he was during that period to his own detriment to his own detriment that you know you could see it taking a visible impact on him as a man and I think ultimately that that's why there's a stand named after him at Liverpool that's that's the ripple effect I think he 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 is untouchable when you're talking about things like this because what a player what a player right success as a player success as a manager and you know 
things that you don't want to do. The others, you know, obviously Hillsborough as a disaster and sort of showing the grit that was necessary afterwards as, you know, the main man, you know, the patriarch of that football club at that mm. time after so long, longevity as well. Like, incredible. Like, he was also there for Heysel as well. And I think course. that's, um, he wasn't the captain at the time. It was Phil Neal that was the captain. But like what that 80s Liverpool team went through and for him to go through all of that. And I think that made him, that puts him down in just the Liverpool fabric in general. And the ripple is like, I mean, I think yesterday Jurgen Klopp laid flowers with the Liverpool sides mm. at the Everton's new ground where the construction worker died. And that wasn't a surprise in some ways because of the example someone like Dagleaf set. Absolutely, yeah. Amazing. Liverpool's exactly that. And he's also obviously the manager that signed Jordan Henderson. And he, Is it, that it right? meant, yeah. And Suarez, right? And Suarez and Andy Carroll because originally he wanted Suarez and Carroll to be ultimately a, a replication of what he had, a big yeah. man, little man with Toshak. Wow. Yeah. Toshak? Yeah, it was Toshak. Uh, yeah, no, or Toshak and Keegan, you could do it Toshak, that way Keegan, as well, yeah. right? I mean, Keegan left and ultimately who came in the season after Keegan left, which was a huge hole to fill, Kenneth Matheson, Dalglish. Uh, and of course, yeah, bring it back to the start of the podcast. What a bunder. He did have a lot. There is, there is a Bunda episode somewhere in here, but it turns out just like to be is. Chelsea best, first. Football's best Bundas, most impactful Bundas. Ivanovic. <laughs> yeah. You definitely make it on the list. There you are. Uh, Ian Rush is the second striker, and as we make our way from left to right, uh, Ian Rush is the reason that footballers are now marketing machines. Ian Rush was the first. <laughs> <laughs> was the I love this. So when we were first figuring out the ripple effect, like how do we want to do this and how can we make it fun whilst also being able to go wherever we want to? That's what I said to Kai. I was like, let's just have insane ripple effects at right. the start of it and then we can go wherever we need to. So Ian Rush was the first ever footballer to be sponsored by Nike and have his own boot deal. The ripples that this has caused led to wide scale changes of how we perceive footballers and their ability to promote brands. I let someone let me know on Twitter. Surely there was some form of moustache brand deal that I really hope occurred when it comes to Ian Rush. It also meant that after Rush left, obviously they had to replace him and they replaced him with another guy who had a moustache who looked <laughs> so similar as John Aldridge. Looked really similar to Ian Rush. What's weird about it is, you know, if you look at Ian Rush now, you go, you picked him to be the face of one of your first things. Like, of all the people you could have picked, you picked a Welshman with a moustache who he, looked 40 at the age of 30. What's incredible is he, he has aged wonderfully. Oh, absolutely. Once he got rid of the moustache, you're yeah. like, well, Ian, what, yeah. what were you doing all these years? You're a stunner. He's, he's a, a grey fox as well. The guy's, the guy's yeah. beautiful. Piercing like, blue eyes. Piercing. I, have to, I have to take issue, though, with that being the reason he's in the Ripple 11. <laughs> I, think, I think you want to look 346 at... 346 goals in 660 matches? I think, I think we have to look a little bit more there. And the reason is, if you look at the Bosman ruling, that was a change in football that actually wouldn't have happened had Bosman not kicked up a fuss and gone to court. Whereas I think Nike were probably going to pick a footballer, irregardless of whether it was Rush. Right. It would have been somebody okay. else, maybe. Rush, obviously. I think Rush probably couldn't believe his luck. With the moustache. I mean, he's thinking... I mean, he's gone home and gone, really? He's looking. He's going, you've got Brazilians. You've got all these, <laughs> you've got all these beautiful people. And you came to me, the moustache. And they go, is that what you call yourself? <laughs> he goes, absolutely. That is such a Liverpool thing, the moustache. It was so Scouse. Yeah, so Scouse. Why? Why was that a thing? It's just, I, think, it's just, I think it was like it a visual just... identity, the kind of the perm and the, uh, the moustache and... Facial hair, I think, was a bit of a Scouse thing at the time. You know, my dad's always had this beard that I sort of associate with Scousers. I also just think the moustache, like it was a Tom Selleck thing as well. 
in that period, was it not? Was it not like a Miami Vice yeah, type sort of thing? Yeah, sort of seven, yeah, 70s, 80s thing. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. You were seen as, I think it was seen as a maturity kind of thing as well. I like, just tried to, I just tried to um, Google it and I just love that this headline. Uh, this is from t- uh, <laughs> November 2016. This is ESPN. Ian Rush hints at new moustache if Liverpool win the <laughs> <laughs> Hints. Hints. I love headlines. Murmurs. <laughs> yeah. There's murmurs at Rush. Is it? Have you heard? Have you heard? <laughs> Ian Rush has got his moustache back. There are, there are some other honourable of... mentions, by the way, for Striker. Go for it. Uh, so I, I have one on my list who's, um, I mean, David Fairclough. He was known oh, as wow. Super Sub. Yeah. And so the ripple effect of being a substitute, obviously there was a massive ripple that he had. His most famous goal was in a quarterfinal of the European Cup. Liverpool were down against Etienne. They needed to get another goal. It was 2-2 on aggregate. And on comes Super Sub, Fairclough. And the piece of commentary is Super Sub strikes again. When he does scores does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer manage Man United if the Super Sub... If David Fairclough wasn't created. David, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, no, ultimately, ultimately yeah. yeah. That's a ridiculous ripple. That's that's what that's, this podcast was for. Yeah. That's why we're here. Yeah, and what? So, you, so what? I think you're saying is, <laughs> is uh, if it wasn't for David Fairclough, Erling Haaland would now be playing for Man United. Is exactly what I'm saying. You fill yeah. in the gaps. Uh, there, you fill in the gaps. There's another one, another brilliant ripple. Ian St. John, forward signed for Liverpool. Obviously a massive Liverpool legend. Uh, a story that I'll tell any time is that Liverpool once played in white shorts, white socks, right? And we know him now. We know them now, obviously, as an all-red team. Uh, one day, out goes uh, Bill Shankly on the training ground, and he puts one of the Liverpool players, I can't remember who it was at the time, but one of the big Liverpool players in red shorts. And he says, go and stand in the centre circle. I want all the players to see you. And uh, the player stands in the middle of the centre circle, and Shankly gathers all the players, and he goes, look at that. He's a colossus. He's massive. Look at him. He's huge. And Ian St. John looks at him and he goes and he literally said to him why don't you go the whole hog <laughs> which I love is, is an old school phrase oh, hog. go the whole hog and get red socks and and Shankly goes I <laughs> and he points to Bob Paisley and he goes Bob get the, get some red socks and Liverpool then went out and won I think 6-0 on the uh, first game they played in the all red it was, it was like a massive result oh, I think it was that's the first good. one and he from then on, has the team playing in all red. And that is what we know. Now, when looking at Liverpool now, and I was looking at this the other day, I feel like kits have a big impact on how you remember things. Liverpool in all red? Yeah. There's nothing more powerful than that know, image. I was thinking that this weekend because Tottenham played in all white, and I was thinking, this, let's go the whole hog. This is, <laughs> it just works. It does, though. It looks great. Can and I, I, that's how John, Instant John goes in. In, in St. John's easy, in there. Easy. Can I just, can we, while we're mentioning Spurs, Spurs at one point in their history had navy t shirt, white shorts, I think navy. Navy socks. I thought. I thought to myself, <laughs> that team wins more if they kept that as their first trip. Do you think there is a, there is a data on the fact that teams in red win more than? And obviously, that looks obvious now because you've got these big clubs. But playing in red is more beneficial if you want to win. You just look scary. Well, do you think people's names kind of dictate what they do with their lives? Because there's this idea of normative determinism where someone called something I don't know quite traditionally masculine goes and does something a little bit more masculine. Right. I, I definitely think, I think I'm the way I am because I'm small and I've got a baby face. Massively. Because I think I get away with stuff. Or if you're, I think sometimes uh, big people are often quite quiet 
and shite because they feel, <laughs> they feel, <laughs> they feel so imposing. Yeah. No, you don't count. Yeah. It doesn't count. Like, yeah, for the exact same reason. So I think, yeah, for sure. Well, who was it? It was, it was a Brian Clough at Leeds. Someone changed the shirts to all white to match Real Madrid. And they were previously blue and yellow. Right. And now we think, oh, well, Leeds are just all white. And in fact, Leeds are kind of the argument for all white not being that good. Yeah. Like you have Real Madrid on the one hand and you think, oh, yeah, but Leeds United on the other. Yeah. I still like all white. All white, I think, is different to uh, white broken up with colour, broken up with white socks. And I think white socks can only really work somewhere else. No, you know what I mean, though. (laughs) Uh, By the way, for anyone wondering out there, they actually won 3-0 against Anderlecht. The 6-0 that I made. Um, And and then it was was, uh, Ron Yates who was the big guy that they made stand in the middle. And Ron Yates was like one of the biggest players. Not Ian St. John. Let's just do it. Also, no, Ian St. John stood next to Shankly and whispered in his ear, which is quite an intimate, nice This concept. just worked, Bill. Bill, can I just... You're me, Bill. This really works. Bill, and I, I'm just I thinking, let's go whole hog. Love what you've done. Yeah. That's but there's a very weird. camp version of that conversation, <laughs> which is sort of like... I mean, Ian St. John did always dress incredibly smartly. I actually interviewed him once and he was dressed so beautifully. Oh, there he was. Uh, God rest his soul. Uh, last name, Mohamed Salah. Uh, is Salah the greatest right winger to ever play in the Premier League? The problem with these positions these days is that they're not those positions anymore i think that's the problem with all these debates now is that like like you don't see like thierry Henry, like where are you putting him is he a striker is he you know is he left-sided forward? forward yeah yeah forward. but I, it's, it's beckham would have beckham means. would have been trent alexander arnold though really he could have played like so completely agree are yeah. we comparing beckham and salad it's difficult yeah uh, so he's won the Golden Boot in three of his six years at Liverpool. He's also scored a total of 187 goals for Liverpool in his six seasons at the club. It's also a personification of what Klopp has done at Liverpool, buying players who may become stars and making them into these stars. He is outrageous. And going back to what you're saying about John Barnes, I think that's a great point when you talk about Mohamed Salah, you know, coming in and... I, dare I say it kind of making being being a Muslim being in, in this being side. Arabic yeah being yeah, Arabic being, being, yeah, being like North making it, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. making all of that cool and it's just a great um, example of the power of sport I think um, but yeah. also of you know him in terms of his ability to be a role model the consistency of him uh, the consistency of his output is actually starting to hurt him I think because I think people just take him massively for granted now I, I completely agree. Um, I, I also just think in general, when you look at Mo Salah, I, I remember when he came in at Liverpool and people were saying things along the lines of like, oh, mm, if he's signing for me, could he, you know, what's he really going to add to this Liverpool team? I remember the predictions were more like, you know, 10 to 15 goals, maybe at a push. Mm. He's that kind of player. He's redefined, as far as I'm concerned, that position. And, I, you know, I know Riyad Mahrez has done similarly in this time, and he's another great representation of everything that um, is good to, to have changed in the Premier League in terms of the multicultural representation of players. But Mo Salah redefined... He, you know, you could say Mahrez, winger, come forward sort of thing. Mo Salah is like that. He embodies that. Do you know what I mean? And and I, I love that about him. And also his celebrations are iconic. I think Liverpool fans have really taken him in. And not only that, I think he's been quite selfless at his time at Liverpool as well. And, you know, redefined a, a formation that we didn't know we had. I think, Joe, we're getting to a point. I think we are at a point where if you do an all-time Premier League eleven and you put Salah in there, you go, OK. Like it's, it's very hard to that's, argue that's against. kind of the best thing I can kind of say about mm. it I mean until Erling Haaland came in he had the Premier League goal record and he did that as a wide player so it's hard to look too much past him although I will say one slightly stupider ripple for him 
is he, so when Gerald slipped, he got the ball left to right off Sacco. Yep. And it was Mo Salah playing for Chelsea, blocking the passing lane. So Sacco didn't actually go down the line, but instead went into Steven Gerrard. Yeah. Wow. So there's some ripple uh, that people at home can figure out there. Yeah. Well, you don't need to figure it out. It's, it's been spelled out for <laughs> you right, right there. Yeah. If he hadn't have stepped yeah. into that passing lane, then they would have won the league. Yeah, quite quite impactful yeah. indeed. And there you have it. Unless there's any other names you want to talk about. The only other person that I think is so impactful in Liverpool's history is um, is Bill Shankly. He's the ultimate ripple for Liverpool, I think. Um, you know, changed Liverpool's fortunes complete. He was a phenomena in Liverpool. You know, the Beatles came back to Liverpool um, as huge heroes the first year that Liverpool won the FA Cup. Uh, two weeks later, Liverpool go on and win the FA Cup. And four, five times the amount of people turn out for the Liverpool team as turned out for the Beatles. And there are just these iconic images of him holding his arms up and the people of Liverpool, obviously a sporting club, just mm. being like, wow. I think similar to the way that Napoli feels about Maradona, Liverpool feel about Shankly. And they just, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's, he's incredible. The, uh, I don't want to end on negative, but just a couple of players, because we didn't last one, players that didn't play for Liverpool that impacted Liverpool. Denver Bar, sorry. And uh, <laughs> I want to just to get a little Wimbledon in there. Besson. With the save, yeah. Sanchez with the goal uh, in ninety eight eighty eight. I think they win the treble if they win that, and we're expected to as well. So it's kind of one thing that Liverpool don't have is, a treble. is that treble. Mm. The crazy gang have beaten the culture club. Indeed, God, uh, who was that? No, not Brian Moore. John Watson. John Watson. Um, and and loads more. Right, we are going to do another podcast, but you've already just listened to that <laughs> podcast because you've now listened to this podcast. But I think the important thing to say is that you've enjoyed this podcast haven't you so follow this podcast give us a five star rating get mm. us up those charts it's always nice to see us up there it gives me a little dopamine hit and uh, it means that this podcast continues it's really as simple as that and um, whilst you're at it head to the description and check out uh, the guy's podcast is it called the Lozcast? yeah on, on that feed it is so okay. yeah or you can just find the Lawrence McKenna YouTube channel it, it seems a little bit egotistical because Jamie's obviously also on it but um, uh, initially I hadn't conceived of Jamie uh, <laughs> yeah. when then, so. Jamie wasn't conceived were you yeah. um, just last year yeah, yeah. just last year it's, you, it's are, you have an embryonic quality to you actually yeah <laughs> they grow up fast <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, yeah on that bombshell uh, thank you so much guys for listening check out all the other podcasts and uh, we'll see you in the next one you say check out all the other podcasts <laughs> yeah there's loads of other podcasts <laughs> out there <laughs> sorry my other podcast <laughs> <laughs> sorry, okay and 